Welcome to the Racisms Podcast. We're your hosts, Jazlyn and Lisa. We decided that this world could use more cross-cultural conversations that seek healing over division, understanding over ignorance, and a better world overall. cultural conversations to make this world a better place. I'm Lisa, co-host of the podcast with Jaslyn. Hey. And today we have a very special guest joining us. We had him on at the end of season one, so we thought we'd continue the tradition and have him on to celebrate season two. Kyle, our producer. Thank you for having me. I'm not special, but uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Well, according to Mr. Rogers, we're all special, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah he was the man thanks so much yes thanks so much Kyle for joining us again for the last episode of our season this time it's season two we're going to get to know a little bit more about Kyle as he addresses all of our closing questions from each of our episodes from this season but first Kyle please remind us how you identify if anything has changed in that regard and why you're excited to join us for this conversation yeah no I'm still a cisgender black man Based in the DMV, yeah, I don't think anything has changed with that. I am mixed race, but you know, I identify as a black man. So, yeah, and we talked about that in the first Meet the Producer episode. So, if you haven't heard that, go back to that one. But, yeah. And you're excited? Uh, I'm, I'm lukewarm. No, yeah, of course I'm excited. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to uh, be on the pod with you all. I feel like every episode I'm listening to you all and I'm either taking feverish notes or like just thinking about like, oh man, like this is, this is such an interesting topic and I'm, my my own thoughts are churning. So it's fun to be able to get back on and recap the season with y'all. Great. Very good. So Lisa, we did reach out on our social media accounts, Instagram and Twitter for questions from the audience. Did we get any questions? (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's a no that's okay (laughs) audience if you have any questions please reach out to us so we can answer them on the podcast yes all right so let's begin first uh we won't jump into season two because I wanted to tell tell Kaya that we both watched V for Vendetta because you had uh you had recommended it during the last Meet the Producer episode. And we watched this for our movie club. And really? Yeah. Our work people? Our work people, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and we all, I think we all, we all gave it positive reviews, uh, even though it was uh, made in the early 2000s, maybe? Mid-2000s? It was still very relevant for the time period that we watched it, which was only like a few weeks ago. So I gave it four stars. I thought it was really like the parallelism between what was happening with the spoilers here with the pandemic happening in the movie, um, even though it was set in England, uh, not and only England, it seemed like, and how the government was turning into an authoritative government. It was it was wild, and and I liked I liked the um, 
the masked uh, guy. I, I thought he was the hero. Codename V. And I, yes, Conan. Yes, uh, V for Vendetta. <laughs> yeah. So no, it was really good. Really good recommendation. Jasmine, what did you think of it? You- uh, yeah, I thought it was good too. I enjoyed it. I didn't. I didn't like fall in love with the movie or thought it was the best movie ever. But <laughs> I enjoyed it. I did see some some applications or parallels to you know things going on here but what was interesting to me is after we watched the movie I was able to read the first comic that the movie is based on um and uh one of the squares I guess the announcer guy the radio personality was making his announcement and at the end of his announcement it said make Britain great again (laughs) oh wow and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Very interesting. So, yeah, good movie. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I also think, yeah, I mean, that movie, I just checked it. It came out in 2005. And so, like, you know, I know Jaslyn and I were in college, and I, I first saw it in college. It might have been 06 or 07 when I, when I saw it for the first time. And I think, but, yeah, how it translates to what's going on right now is is insanely eerie. And it's also, you know, the fact that it's set in the UK makes it even more real because in the earlier scenes when they're setting the stage, like the US had basically deteriorated into a nothing country because of the mismanagement of, you know, military and pandemic and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He <laughs> was like, oh, well, well. <laughs> well then. Here we are. <laughs> That escalated quickly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's jump. Uh, let's jump into the season two episodes. So our first one, it was a little bit of a rear, rear view mirror kind of episode, but we focused a lot on our work culture. And uh, since Jasmine and I share the same workplace, we talked a little bit about the specifics of. Um, how we feel at this particular employment, uh, but also, you know, our previous employment. So, Kyle, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your your work culture, any, any observations you have, and uh, anything else you want to tell us about it? Yeah, one thing I mentioned in the, in the Meet the Producer episode was that I went into work knowing that I couldn't be myself. And so the idea, I know, Lisa, you talked about the idea of assimilation, and Jaslyn, you never really talked, you didn't really see that you needed to assimilate, but you, you also knew you had to be guarded and protective of yourself in the workspace. And I feel like I kind of did the same thing. Um, I came into the, I graduated college, I had a lot of hair, I had like a ponytail and stuff, so, or like more of a poof. Um, and so th- to me, just showing up to work was enough of a statement, and I didn't really say a whole lot, because I was just like, yeah, I already know y'all are going to bang with what I'm what I really think about stuff. Um so, but I did get involved. So back in 2010, 2009, and I, I'm not going to name names, but I worked for a large Fortune 200 company that was in the energy industry. And I, uh, I, they, they started employee resource groups in 2010 and I immediately got involved and they, they created them for, you know, all the, all the groups you would think. So there was, there was one for black African-Americans, there was one for Asians, one for Latinos or Latinx. There's one. There was a pride. There was one for kind of like a millennial kind of one, like you know, young professionals type one. There was one for veterans. 
one for women. Um, and then later they came up with one for um, folks either with or supporting folks with disabilities. Um, I think I named most of them. Oh, and there's also one for for safe, for like environmental issues too for those passionate about the environment. And so I got involved with the the African American one f- from its inception in in 2010. And it was interesting because the culture of each of those groups was very different. The women's group, kind of like y'all talked about in the uh, in the Mia White Supremacy episode, talked about how feminism had, has kind of just been a white female feminist movement. The women's ERG group was very much the white feminist kind of mode, and they were just very gung-ho, and they were very f- forceful in terms of like what they were talking about in terms of equal pay, like crashing the glass ceiling, stuff like that. Whereas like the black group, we were like, are we allowed to do this? Can we do that? Can we even be here? Like we were very, very cautious. And I remember we did a survey of our of, of the members who came out to the first meeting and they wanted they basically wanted an ombudsman. They wanted somebody some they wanted someplace they could go to talk about issues they had with with either colleagues or peers or bosses, like race related issues that came up at work. And our president at the time was like, no, we're not doing that. Mm. And all we did, we did like community service. We said, oh, what, like people said, we want a mentorship program. What they meant was they want mentorship about how to be black in this company. <laughs> they wanted to have mm-hmm. people paired up so that they could like talk to each other about issues that came up in the company. But instead we had a community service department or not department. We had a community service organization or sub subcommittee. And we also had a mentorship mm-hmm. subcommittee, which mentored children. It felt like doing the same thing twice. Community service can be more than just working with kids, but mentoring and community service, like that felt like doing the same thing twice. And so just the culture of the existence of these ERGs was very telling about the true culture of the company. And Mm -hmm. I'll just jump. Yeah, in the episode you talked about actually this is I think you talked about um, this in the me and white supremacy episode. So I'm kind of jumping all around here, but talked about the optical allyship with companies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this, this mm-hmm. still upsets me. <laughs> so when Freddie Gray died in police custody in 2015, though some, some members of the, the African-American ERG wrote a solidarity letter for, that sh- could be sent from executives in the company. Um, mm. And so... It wasn't me personally, but some some of my colleagues in the in the group literally hand wrote this letter, and it's like, this is what you need to send to the company to express solidarity to what the black com- the black community is dealing with right now, what our customers are dealing with, what many employees are dealing with. This is these are the words that we would like for you to say, and this is what the entire company needs to be aware of. They did not send the letter. Mm-hmm. Two months later, when the massacre took place. Uh, in the uh, nightclub in Orlando, you know, the company did put out a message. Mm -hmm. That fall, they came out with an ally campaign. And they were like, everybody, sign the pledge to be an ally for pride. Sign the pledge to be an ally for pride and put this little, put this, you know, pride ally sticker in your, uh, like by your office or by your desk and put put this in your email signature that you're a pride ally. Mm. And those of us in the black group are like, I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. Where was Black Lives Matter when we needed that 
a couple months before that. And we were like, I mean, I'm, I'm an, I, you know, I'm cool with being a pride ally for sure. But where was this energy when it was us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when my former employer, and and I don't work for them anymore, obviously, but like when when <laughs> when when George Floyd happened, and everything else happened this past summer. And I saw my former employer put out there like, oh, Black Lives Matter, blah, blah, blah. And I saw people that I know (laughs) put on, like tag tag it on LinkedIn, like, oh, I'm so proud to work for a company that da-da-da-da-da. I was like, really? I was so disappointed. And I was this close to airing them out on on LinkedIn. But I did not do that because, (laughs) but I, I'm telling you, I was, I was um, livid because that is exactly optical eyelashing to a T. And I have personal intimate knowledge of how optical that is. So I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. But yeah, <laughs> so workplace culture is a, is a big topic. And I'm glad, I think your episode did a great job, you know, discussing it from, from your perspective. And, um, and, I, and I, I, I had an anecdotal experience at a Fortune 200 company that had, you know, tens of thousands of employees. So, you know, that's, that's, that's that anecdotal experience. I know other people who worked for, who worked either worked or currently work for large, you know, international companies who have tons of resources and tons, like the fact that you all have a culture at work where you have these social justice groups and you have, you know, groups of folks who are willing to watch these movies and, and do these things and explore these topics is, is great. And I know other people who work for other large companies that do the same thing, but that was not the case where I worked. <laughs> I remember, I remember I, I, uh, I got, I got, <laughs> I, I, be, I became the president of the, uh, the African-American group at, at a certain point. <laughs> and I, I, um, I want, I made sure I, we showed 13th and, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> even, even, even the, the black person who was the advisor to the black organization was like, are you sure you want to show this? Like, why, what, what do you want to accomplish by showing this? What? Yes. And I'm like, this is like one of the most critical issues facing the black community right now. And, and and even and I even I even went to like I, I I even worked with HR to say like hey like do we have a clause in our hiring practices that pr- prohibits us from hiring folks that have that have been that have served time because like that's like a, an actual tangible thing that our company could change if it hadn't if it hadn't already done so to help you know fix this issue in a in a small way because I know Pride the 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 LGBTQIA group was doing similar things they were like what is, what is in our hiring practices what's in our our benefits packages that are exclusive or not in, or are, are just not as inclusive as we could be in terms of in terms of that community. So they were doing mm-hmm. direct HR advocacy to actually impact the retention and retainment of LGBTQIA folks in the company. And I felt like when I was trying to do the same thing it was like um no we're we're good. We're we're good. Mm. Sorry. Terrible. Yeah, that's how I'm on a tangent. I mean, sometimes it, f- it does feel like that, like any other group with any other focus can, you know, make their concerns known, get a response, get support, except the black people. Right. And I think <laughs> and I just I don't know. Yeah. And Jasmine, I mean, you, you mentioned how like the black group 
at your company kind of didn't exist until recently, right? Well, yeah, it had it had lapsed. It was in existence, you know, in the 90s. I think it got started in the 90s. But by the time I was there, it, it wasn't active anymore. But now, since last year, we're becoming active again. Right. But how many other groups are there? From what I can tell, there are... You mean in terms of, like, racial or ethnic, Anything. ethnicity? Like, I'm sure there's a, there's a, there's a... Is there a pride one? Is there a, you know... Yeah, there's a pride one. That was also a recent um a recent group. Women in STEM. Uh there's the Asian group, there's the Hispanic, they called it the Hispanic group. Mm-hmm. Um and a early researcher group. Mm-hmm. There's a veterans group postdoc, as well. Postdoc and early researcher group. Is there a veterans? Cuz mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything with them. Yeah, they probably didn't do an event last year, but they're definitely around. Okay, and a veterans one. Yeah, so it sounds like y'all had some of the same ones that, that my old company had. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just interesting that all the ones you mentioned, I mean, it sounds like the, the Pride one was new, which is, which is yeah. But the rest of them, I guess, had been around for a while and been active. Yeah, I think Women in STEM has also started around the time I started, which was four, about four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, I just find it disheartening that you you as an ERG weren't I mean, it sounds like you weren't even allowed to create subcommittees without approval. Does that is that right? Sort of. It was also just a cultural thing. Like the the people in the people in leadership in the ERG were also fairly high up in leadership in the company and they were just kind of like mm-hmm very, very cautious about doing anything that would be considered controversial. Mm. And I don't know if that was a directive or if it was just that they're up at that level and they already know the deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, mm. yeah. Which which kind of gets to that whole idea of like, oh, let's integrate and get to the top and then we'll change things. I ain't seen it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you... It's supposed to be like people opening doors, but sometimes it seems like they're kind of put in that place as gatekeepers or to keep, you know, keep things running smoothly mm-hmm. with, without much friction. Or And it's almost <laughs> like there's it's almost like there's this and Jasmine, I don't know if, if you've experienced any of this in your in your life, but within the black community, there's almost a. It's, there's almost a constant question of like, are you still authentically black despite your success? Because it's almost like hmm. to become a CEO of a fortune, whatever company, it's like, where's your mind really at? Like, what did you have to do to get there? Because <laughs> like, this is a, like, it's still a white man's game. So how, how did you make these people comfortable with you? And it's like, hmm. And I, I feel like the culture has changed and made a lot of progress these days, I think. I don't, I don't know if you feel that way, Jasmine, because I, I know you said you did not feel like you needed to assimilate, but you also felt like you needed to protect your true identity at work. So, Yeah, I guess it's like, like I said, you know, there's a, there's a, a work-facing Jasmine and a, a family-facing Jasmine, you know, 
I still think it's me, but it's not. I'm not gonna talk about you know, you know, a police shooting with a random coworker unless I know what their thoughts are. Like I'm not gonna open that that box unless I know what's inside the yeah. box. But are there but are there <laughs> family and friends like at home who who like you know might question any degree of any degree of like um integrated success is like like just, that's cool do you like be successful but don't be an uncle tom don't be an aunt jemima don't be a sally hemmings kind of thing like is there any of have you have you had any of that kind of like cool like do you but like stay true kind of thing have you had any of that i have not experienced that particular like in terms of success mm-hmm. but like other things like food or <laughs> Music, I've gotten that. What do you mean? Like you know, when I went vegetarian, or if I if I make a you know, I remember one Thanksgiving, I was probably in college or maybe yeah, probably college. I wanted to make a different type of stuffing, so I I made like a stuffing with I don't know, I don't remember what I put in it, like croutons or I don't know, maybe put some raisins in it. I don't know. <laughs> it was a different kind of stuffing, and. uh my family was like, "Did you make white white people stuff? Like, what is this? Are you? What are you feeding us? <laughs> like, where did you learn this? Are you going to college and learning all this crazy yeah, stuff?" Right. <laughs> I was like, "No, I just I just saw that cooking, and then so I never made that stuffing again." <laughs> um, but yeah, I yeah, my family, you know, they, they encourage success, and I've never I've never heard that particular you know don't don't lose yourself you know as you go up the ladder that's good i guess if they if they would see if if they see something change with me then they might probably speak up and be like what's going on jaslyn yeah i feel like if (laughs) if if you took more of an assimilation route into workspaces and you came home with that energy i'm sure they would check that Cause, but you, mm-hmm. you don't look to work as like, you don't look at like, so I was, I was talking about this with a friend of mine, like some pe- some black people look at proximity to whiteness as success. And that can bleed into like how you, how you talk, how you like culturally, how you present yourself. And you might, in order to make white people comfortable, you make so many changes to yourself. Like some people do lose themselves in that pursuit. And then if you go back home to the cookout, mm-hmm. people are like, what is this energy? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, you know? And mm-hmm. so but but and i think you come from such a strong black like cultural upbringing that like you've never doubted that about yourself and you've never felt like being around white people is what you you need is what as how as success is defined and so the the complete lack of the idea of assimilation for you is like is 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 i think why you haven't really made, maybe like experienced that within your family because you that's just never been your energy that's never been your goal and i think that's that just speaks to like you as a person and, and the family you came up in. And that's, that's beautiful to see, you know, cause you have the mental fortitude to yeah. like do that code switching, do, do, do what you need to do to stay true to yourself, but also succeed. And that's, that's a strength. And it's something that I think a lot of people struggle with. Mm. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to uh, episode two, where we talk about Asian representation in Hollywood. And we talked, 
we touched on three big topics, so I think we'll cover these three. Uh, the first one is uh, your reaction, Kyle, to our discussion on the movie Rush Hour. Uh, I know that offline you had when we were talking about how Jackie Chan maybe didn't enjoy those movies, making those movies. He didn't get the humor. Uh, do you want to talk more about how you reacted to that? Yeah, discussion? sure. I didn't know that he didn't like those movies. He didn't. He wasn't fully on board with the humor and all that until Jaslyn mentioned that in the show. And I was like, damn, like he like that's when you really have to question, you know, I'm not going to speak for Jackie Chan, but like as a, as me, as an individual, like if I'm doing something that doesn't sit right with my spirit, why? And what does it say about me and my willingness? What does my willingness to do this say about me? And I think y'all talked about it in the show. Like maybe Jackie Chan was just like, I don't get this whole thing and it doesn't sit right with me but I'm making a conscious choice to do this because it's going to pay for, it's going to, it's going to support my life so, so substantially and allow me to do the acting that I really want to do. And that's, that's fine. But if he didn't really know what he was getting into, then that's exploitation, cultural appropriation among other things. And that's messed up. Um, So I just, I hope that he kind of like had the strategic moment where he was like, yeah, I don't really jive with this, but like, this is going to help me and what I want to do ultimately throughout my career. Cool. Um, so yeah, I, 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 cause that, that's something that always like annoys me is when not annoys me. It really, it really <laughs> it irritates me and really grinds my gears when, when people are like exploited and people are people's culture is, is extracted for the benefit of making white people laugh. Or I know y'all talked about white gays a few times, G A Z E, you know, that movie is a, a blockbuster hit. Not because black and Asian people saw it, mm-hmm. but because white people thought it was funny. And like, mm-hmm. that's uncomfortable for me. Especially with Jackie Chan not really fully like getting it. Like, he didn't get it. And that means we're, we're having, we're making, we're having mm-hmm. fun at his expense. And that's not cool, you know? And, and, and on the flip side, we, I mean, Chris Tucker's role was, you know, also comedic, but he also played into certain stereotypes that you know fit in nicely with you know and I, I say nicely but I mean that in a bad way with like white and white <laughs> perceptions of blackness and and I think Lisa you even spoke to it in, from the Asian perspective too like some of you know uh, Chris Tucker's characters you know anti-authority and stuff like that kind of like resonated with with Asian viewers potentially too so overall the film was hilarious and people like we loved it and that's okay but like, what does that even? What does that say about mm-hmm. society? Um, and, and I definitely had a reaction to it when y'all were doing that show because I was like, wow, like, what did that do for our communities, the Black and Asian communities? I don't think it did much. Yeah, not in terms of like us connecting or anything like that. Yeah, no, not yeah. I, I definitely don't think it did that. Right. I wonder if Jackie Chan, because he's done a number of, like Lisa said, these. You know, he's the comedic guy in the Hollywood films I wonder if he's gotten any of the Hollywood movie humor that he's done <laughs> and was it just Rush Hour or was it the other ones as well I, I mean I hope that he got it uh, slowly over time um, 
I mean, I think the movies got less successful. You know, Rush Hour, Rush Hour 2, they were... There was also a third one, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, let's not talk about that one. Okay. <laughs> Forget that one happened. <laughs> it wasn't funny. So, like, that franchise was the most successful, and I feel like the other ones... Um, personally, I didn't go see them or rent them because they just didn't seem as, as interesting or funny. So maybe as he, like, got the humor... The movies got worse i don't know but what kyle you said like that this movie was 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 successful not because uh black and asian audience saw it but because white audience saw it i was like whoa that's so true and now i'm like just like seeing the movie in a whole nother light now and that doesn't that doesn't mean i don't say that to take the joy out of it because like we we all are our true selves and we can mm. appreciate the movie for what it is and what it what it does for us and that's fine you know yeah. But I do think it's important to like to look at the, it in the in the in the nationwide cultural context as well and just, you know, mm-hmm. have have that in our have, have that in the back of our minds too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Jasmine and I we agreed to disagree on Uncle Roger. Mm-hmm. Uh do you have any thoughts on him and how like how does humor come into play when we are talking about stereotypes and the use of stereotypes in humor is very prevalent. So tell us about Uncle Roger. Have you have you watched his videos? What do you think of him? So I hadn't heard of Nigel Ng or Uncle Rogers or the character Uncle Roger uh, until the show. So I, I'm just I okay. guess I'm just not in 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 the loop. But um <laughs> I did think it was funny and I, I personally thought it was clear that it was a character and especially I know Jaslyn mentioned in the episode about uh, cancel culture, you know, he, he did episodes where he was nephew Nigel. So it's clear that like he's the same person and he doesn't actually have that accent and that accent is, is to, to serve a character role. And now I just think of, and so I just think of my own experience with with comedy and I think of comedians that I've I've loved over the years like Dave Chappelle. You know, he would affect a black black vernacular accent or or you know certain 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 tones of voice to make something even mm-hmm. more funny. Like in, in either in his stand up or in his sketches, like he'll do that, he'll do it up to make it that much more funny. And to just prove a point, and part of comedians is to be edgy, push the envelope, make you uncomfortable, say the things that you don't really want to say about yourself or, or where you, or like the community, or like race, whatever, and like make it funny, but also make the point. And I think that's the job of com- comedy and comedians. And so if they're making people laugh and making them uncomfortable, they're doing their job. And I think it, 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 the way, so I'm not Asian and I don't have, I don't have a direct I don't, I don't, I don't feel offended by Uncle Roger, the character Uncle Roger, um, but I, I can respect that you are offended by it, and I can understand that. I, but from in my experience with black com- comedians, I'm not offended by it unless I feel like they're being Jackie Chan. Mm. Oh, that's a new word. <laughs> and I shouldn't Chan. say it that way. Oh, I should, yeah, Jackie you're right. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't do that. We're sorry, Jackie. <laughs> again, he could have done that strategically, so I shouldn't, I shouldn't put that on him. Unless, okay. if I feel like they're being exploited, or if I feel like they're being mm-hmm. put on for the white gaze, G A Z E, 
you know, then I am offended by it. But in the, in the case of like Dave Chappelle, in the case of Nigel Ng, they're crafting, they're creating their, their, their characters, they're creating their content. And from what I understand, they own a, a large degree of their content. And I know Dave Chappelle, <laughs> you know, he actually doesn't own the Chappelle show, which is another whole issue. But, you know, for the most part, mm-hmm. they're, the, they're, the, they're the creative juices behind what's being portrayed. And as long as that's the case, I'm okay with it. But again, if somebody's writing these, like if, if a white person wrote that script for Nigel Ng, that would be problematic. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. That yeah. Would be so, like, but if it's him yeah. doing it, like he's ultimately yeah. trying to poke fun at white people who are trying to do cultural things. And he's like, nah, you're, you got, y'all are jacking this up. And like, and I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to make it mm-hmm. funny by like mm-hmm. being super like stereotypically ethnic in it. And if, if, if people are laughing just because of the accent, I think that is a little problematic. But if you, if you can see the accent as just like a, an exaggeration of the, I mean, I think the accent, he, I think the accent is to highlight and exaggerate how silly it is that we're watching white people shows about Asian cooking. Like that, like, like that is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I think him doing that accent up like that is to, is to put the response on par with the, the insanity of BBC. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, that's that's kind of that's kind of my take on it. But I, I definitely respect and, and appreciate yeah. your perspective, Lisa, because I think some things just go too mm-hmm. far for some people. And that's 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 fair. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I do appreciate comedians being edgy, making people uncomfortable. I just wish that Uncle Roger did a little more of that because I don't really think this is edgy or makes anybody uncomfortable. It's not a commentary on stereotypes and uh, the ridiculous ridiculousness of BBC making Asian food. So I'm going to stop talking because I'll keep on going about Uncle Roger. But that's my piece is that it could be edgier. It could be even more of a commentary. But right now it's just for people's entertainment. So let's Mm -hmm. move on. Agree to disagree. Can't get get her to budge. I'm telling you, man. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on. episode was our Christmas special where we talked about a few of our favorite things. We did talk about a lot of our favorite things, Kyle, so we won't make you go through <laughs> all of them, but do you have any like particular memories or traditions from uh, the holiday season that sticks out to you? Yeah, um, I definitely... Christmas for, for for me growing up was also was always fun. Of course, I mean it was a, it was a great season. I also like you, Jasmine. I really just love the music, the Charlie Brown, uh, Vince Giraldi trio. That's probably my all time favorite thing to listen to in the Christmas season. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I, I I just love love all of that. I, I don't get all too big on like decorations and stuff. I do them, but it's not like it's not. I don't really care that much. <laughs> like, um, but to me, it's yeah. I, I'm big on like just trying to trying to think of other people trying to be kind and and have think of nice gifts for stuff and with Avery with my son it's like 
kids are very much like, oh, I want to get this for Christmas. I want to get this for Christmas. And I'm just trying to like get him to think, okay, before (laughs) this year, he was really adamant about it too. I was like, before you give me a Christmas list of what you want, I want to know what you're getting other people. (laughs) I want to know what you think other people (laughs) Mm -hmm. would like as a gift. And, and, and it was like a week or two before Christmas. He was like, okay, I think I got ideas for everybody. Now can I tell you what I want? <laughs> I was Aww. like, yes, yes, you can tell me what you want. So, um, you know, and I don't, I don't want to like take the wind out of the sails in terms of like getting stuff because that's, that's obviously like a ton of fun. Um, but I just want to make sure it's a, it's a well-rounded understanding of, of what Christmas is about. So. Mm-hmm. So did you believe in Santa growing up? And what do you tell your son about Santa? Santa spirit is... <laughs> the spirit of Santa? And it's a mascot for Christmas. And, um, you know, the, the spirit of Santa is what helps everybody do nice things for other people and get nice gifts for other people. That's, that's kind of my thing. That's nice. Yeah. I really, I really have mm-hmm. a hard time with the exorbitant materialism of it (laughs) i really do so did you take a look at my top 20 playlist i did i did it was good i liked it i I agreed with almost actually i think that's what it was i think chris brown was on there and that's that's what got me to ask you wait chris brown isn't canceled and you talked about that in the culture one um but yeah i like the list it was a great list A, a lot of my favorites are on there too um the one song that wasn't on there, I don't think you had a version of Little Drummer Boy. Or um, that's not even what it's called. But um, mm. yeah, that's one of my favorite songs. And that entire, that okay. song was not on your top 20. It's my only beef. It wasn't. It's my only beef. Do you, have, do you have a version that you would nominate for the, for the um, list? Oh, that's tough. I, I, like, I, like the, I like the Jackson 5 version because Michael Jackson is literally a boy singing it. He's like so young. So... I, I love his version. I mean, there's other versions that are musically amazing as well, but but I just having having a kid sing it is is I think might t- tip it over the edge. I also love Mary J. Blige. Okay. Mary, did you know that is just like? Mm. <sighs> I don't think I've heard that love one. It. I need to need to go back and have a have a listen. All right, so our fourth episode of the season was about being a cultural ambassador or a cultural representative uh, in your different spaces. Um, we were debating, should we be educating the dominant culture of our particular identities or is that too much to ask? Kyle, did you have any thoughts about that? I have my own personal thoughts, which are, I just happen to have an unusually high threshold of tolerance for playing the cultural ambassador role. Mm-hmm. I realize, though, that many people don't have that same threshold, and that's completely fine. Um, and, and that's throughout the intersectionality of, of diversity topics. You know, if, if you're gay, if you're a woman, if you're black or whatever, you know, you absolutely have with, have it within your rights to say to somebody who's asking you, oh, well, like, what do I need to do to, like, be an ally, blah, blah, blah? Like, Google. If you if that's all your energy is, <laughs> that's completely fine. And my sister did that to me once. I was like, hey, I'm trying to learn more about feminism. She was like, look it up. And I was like, <laughs> and at first I was, like, pissed, but I was like, yeah, she's right. <laughs> I was like, she's right. If she don't have that energy, like, if you don't have the the, the I mean, asking asking those who are oppressed asking those who are already like 
living through and struggling through, you know, the dominance of the dominant society, like asking them to do that much more work is insulting. And so being a cultural ambassador is should literally be up to us wherever we fit in those in the, in those in those intersectionality intersectionality of issues. Um, but as a man, I'm not gonna like <laughs> my sister corrected me. Like I'm I'm not gonna go to a woman and say, oh, like how do I be a feminist? Like I know better. You know, thank you to my sister for <laughs> like mm-hmm. checking me hard on that one. Um, so you like recognizing your own privilege where where it exists, um, and also recognizing that you also if you're if you don't have the energy to do it, don't just don't. It's okay. Um, but I think in the episode, y'all talked about some really cool examples of bridging some gaps in terms of, you know, having voluntary, you know, food or language exchanges and stuff like that with people that you might already have a friendly relationship with and just say, hey, like, I'm interested in, like, practicing my Spanish. Would, would, it, would, it, would it be okay to do that? With Like, would, would you mind if I practice my Spanish with you or with this group of folks in the workplace or somewhere else? You know, those are really good ways of of bridging cultural divides that are kind of like a peer-to-peer approach. And I think that's really powerful and really, you know, commendable. And I think that could go a long way to helping some things out. But yeah, just being a cultural ambassador for the sake of white people, is just like, nah. Mm-hmm. But now see, for me, I have the energy for it. I don't know why, but like, I just, I just love those conversations. I'm like, show me like a, like I, I in college, I love talking to libertarians. I love talking to like, you know anybody who has a different set of mind, a different mindset than me? Like, I'm I have the energy for that conversation because I'm weird. But I I know that I'm weird now, and I would I would never <laughs> expect anybody else to have as much energy as I do to have those conversations. So honor your own energy. Mm-hmm. Be an ambassador when you feel it's appropriate to do so. If you don't have the energy for it, Google. <laughs> Google, Google is a great resource. Or or library, <laughs> as I know, Jasmine. <laughs> Library, ebooks, documentaries. You know? Yeah, so Kyle, have you ever spent any time overseas? Not enough. Nope. I mean I, I did brief trips to like, you know, parts of the Caribbean. Um my dad lived in Nicaragua for four years and I visited him there once. So I will say no compared to the experiences you all have had. I haven't lived anywhere for I've only visited a few, a hand, small handful of places, so no. Mm-hmm. What about people from elsewhere, um, over here visiting or living? Have you had experience with that? Yeah, I have. Um, actually, actually, there's a couple examples. There was a a foreign exchange student from Japan who was in my high school when I was, I think, a sophomore. And he made the baseball team, so it was really cool to mm. to kind of have that added added perspective on the baseball team. And he he was he was so cool. He was he was actually he actually became a friend like outside of outside of the team. Um, and uh, you know, sadly, I didn't keep in touch with him. I really wish I did. Um, but back, I mean, that was you know before WhatsApp and stuff. So it was, I don't, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I guess. And that was before Facebook and all that. So yeah, I don't know. I, I shouldn't be too hard on myself that I'm not still in touch with him. But I could probably could find him if I really tried. But um, yeah, so I mean, that was a, but that was, high school is a little different, it, but it was just really about like, in that case, he, he, he just had a bunch of, we, we just asked questions about, about cultures and I was like, oh, like how, how, how would this be in Japan? And he was like, oh yeah, like, and he would just mm-hmm. volunteer. He was very talkative. He'd be like, oh, like, 
here it's so weird because like y'all this way and, and in japan it's like this and it's like oh wow that's that's cool so like he just kind of like was eager mm-hmm. to compare and have conversations with people about things like that and my high school was insanely diverse so he got to see you know black culture white culture like you know the of a wider range of like asian american cultures i mean we we have we had like we had koreans like you know chinese like my, one of my one of my good friends is from bangladesh like i mean we like in my high, like you couldn't graduate from my high school and not know that Asian American is an offensive term, because <laughs> like there's a, an extreme amount of diversity in in the word in in what is included in the the, the blanket term of Asian American. So, mm. yeah, so he got to see all that, which I think was cool. Nice. Do you ever worry about misrepresenting your culture or, you know, being behaving, <laughs> mm. so you you know you don't give a bad impression on people? Hmm. I used I used to have a different answer to that question. I'm gonna say no. Because hmm. if you were to say yes, it gets into respectability politics, it gets into behavioral racism. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say no because you know, I'm the version of black man that I am. I have differences from certain other black people and I have differences from certain stereotypes. I might fit into certain stereotypes. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm just going to be me. And, uh, I think part of the goal is to have those of us who are not the white males, like cisgender white males, you know, we need to, we need to not represent large groups of people unwillingly and so anytime I talk to somebody about anything it's like you know I you're hearing this from me I don't speak for my people I don't speak for like I don't speak for all people from the DMV I don't speak for all I don't even speak for all everybody in my family <laughs> like so you know I make it clear mm-hmm. when I'm talking to somebody I'm like you're hearing you're hearing this from me you know yeah. like I, I talk but but yeah. sometimes like and go ahead no, I was going to say it's tough because I think in the black community, there's this tendency to, or for, you know, outside cultures to generalize and to see, like, you know, if, if their news came on and says, you know, somebody, you know, shot up a, a bank and then black people are like, please don't be black, please don't mm-hmm. be black, yeah. you know, because it's like, you know, one person will, you know, make it seem like you know the whole group is bad and I think we need to get out of that mentality everybody does and realize that you know an individual is responsible for his particular behavior and mistakes Mm -hmm. and not put that or say you know I saw black people are always on the news for crime so it must mean black people are more likely to be criminals you know what I mean yeah and I mean that that also just factors in like you also have but you also have to, <laughs> you also have to peel back all the reasons why that is the case a the news is a for-profit organization that's trying to sell ad revenue yes right so news is a secondary motive for them mm-hmm. second the environments that you know create crime are environments where you know you, you when, and when there's when there's a gap between the haves and the have-nots that's a, a strong a strong you know lead into crime so and we all know about housing segregation 
you know, drop, uh, um, you know, Rockefeller drug laws and all this kind of stuff that are intentionally targeting black and brown communities. So when you factor that all in, like, yes, personal responsibility is a thing. And I, I don't, I don't know if y'all saw Little Fires Everywhere, the show on, on Hulu, um, based in, uh, um, based on the book that set in uh, Shaker Heights, um, Ohio, but Carrie Washington's character, um, says to the, says to, um, shoot, what's the white woman? Um, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon's character. You know, she says, you know, Reese Witherspoon was trying to say, oh, you need to make good choices. And Carrie Washington's, Carrie Washington's character says, you had good choices. I didn't have good choices mm. to make. And that, and that's, that's when, when we make that moralistic argument, like, it really falls flat when you don't understand the, the, all the societal and historical and cultural contexts behind the choices that mm-hmm. are available to some that aren't, and, the, and why they're not available to others. better hollywood black tropes and we talked about two specific tropes in that episode uh did you have anything you wanted to add to that did you find other tropes or in other movies that you wanted to talk about i think the episode was great and i don't i don't want to add too too much to it except for that i i want to add that i want to add another example that seems very random and tangential but i just want to show how deep this trope is you know, my son was very much is very much into ants, and so you know, my best friend got him the movie Ants, and we're watching it, and it's a it's a cool movie, it's fun, and it's all animated, and you know, whatever. <laughs> but it occurred to me that uh, Danny Glover's voice was one of the soldier ants, and <laughs> literally his his role in this in this show in this movie was literally just to do like black savior type stuff, like where. You know, he gave the the main character ant who was was really a worker class ant. He was not a soldier ant, but he got he got he got himself into the soldier you know group or whatever. And so the Danny Glover's character is giving him advice and like saving him. And literally, like they go into a battle and all the soldier ants die, but the main character. And he of course he finds Danny Glover's character ant and like his last words were like advice for the main character. And, and it's like, and it, it, it was literally like, that was literally five minutes of like, a, what a 90 some minute, you know, hour long movie or, you know, whatever, however long the movie was. And I'm sitting there just trying to enjoy this movie about ants with my kid who loves ants. And I'm like, God dang it. Like why you could have casted like Martin Sheen or something. Like it could have been anybody. It could have been Ben Affleck. Like why, why, like why? <laughs> Why do you choose? Why? Oh, and it's and, and it's just the 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 question that never is answered. Why? And it's like and and, it, and that's 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 that it's that's how deep this is. Like the people in these boardrooms who are mm. casting people, and 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 this is no knock on Danny Glover. That that man is an activist. That man has taken on great roles in his career, and he puts his money and his and his words and his actions into actual activist movements. So I I I, I bang with Danny Glover. I, I don't even fault him for taking a role, but the people who are in the boardrooms who are like. Let's get a let's get Danny Glover for that role. They are who I have a problem with, like because they are 
consciously making that decision to not go with Ben Affleck. Or some random or some, yeah. that because he, he dies. He wasn't even a main yeah, character. The, but it was literally like a, a supporting role. Like, <sighs> yeah. Classic magical. Yeah. Name. And it was, and it was just like, so it, that, that just kind of like made it so clear to me how deeply embedded this is like, you know, children, by the time they're 10, 12, whatever, they've already internalized those tropes and those roles and what that does to, and what that does to their outlook on life is already being formed. And it's, it's kind of under our noses. Cause if you're not really hip to it, if you're not really checking for it, it's gonna, it's gonna, it'll just be there in your children. And it's, it's, and that's, that's, that's culture. That's really how you create culture. And if you can let me keep talking, I'm going to talk about Disney. So you should cut me off right now. <laughs> I mean, going to Disney. <laughs> I mean, Disney Disney knows it has a problem. Since well, when? Well, since like last year. Right, since about last year. Right. <laughs> they started putting, yeah, they started putting, you know, warning labels on their, on their older cartoons. But I don't know if they... They look at the historical cartoons. I don't know if they look at their more recent cartoons and, you know, analyze them. Who's, who's still the logo for Disney? Who's still the mascot for Disney? Mickey Mouse. Right. Blackface for children. <laughs> yes, blackface for children. Very unfortunate. And that's still the logo. So miss me with that Disney's change stuff. Nah. So you're saying it should get rid of Mickey Mouse? They should just acknowledge what it is and... Like, acknowledge the entire history of what they've done. Like, it's just sinister. It's literally sinister. I mean, and, and not even just from a racial standpoint, like Beauty and the Beast. I Like, <laughs> the Little Mermaid. She literally gives up her voice for a man. What? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, that is horrible. Yeah, like, it's pretty bad. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. Like, oh, love this abusive person and yes, you can save him and make him a nice person. What? Like, <laughs> and then we wonder why. Now that, that is a, that is an older is. tale. I feel like Beauty and the Beast is like from 18 years um, or something. Um, and so Disney has taken a lot of older, you know, they didn't want to pay for anything you know, new. new creative ideas. So they took older, you know, public domain yeah. <laughs> uh, stories and made cartoons but did out they of or them. Did they not actively choose these particular ones to do? Mm-hmm. They did, but you know, they don't give him a pass. Older usually means that's. I mean, like, <laughs> uh, man, like they're tr- you know they're trying to be more progressive. Who knows? You know, Beyonce is Nala, things like that. <laughs> I still don't bang. With I mean, Disney. we all have our flaws. Yeah, but if you but 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 when you are the cultural. The, the dominant cultural influence on children in this country. Mm-hmm. Like, you you know what you did. Like you you they like they know what they were doing. Like I used to watch the Fantasia mm-hmm. you know the movie, and I saw it after the cut. But they had they had that one scene where they had those like you know horse people. Like it's like a four legged creature with like, but you know instead of a horse's head, it's like the torso of a human. And then the top part is the top top half of a human type thing. I don't even know what they're called. Centurions, whatever. And like, 
in the original version, they had all these like short, you know, very black versions of them. And they were literally just serving the white ones like, oh, like brushing the hair and blah, blah, blah. Like, what? yes, that is the original version. Like I watched it as a kid and I didn't see that original version because like, they, they cleaned it up. But like that is the original. Like this is who they are. <laughs> and then like after the fact they're like, oh, yeah, let's let's take that out. But this is what they are. And they know it. All right, Disney, do better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Admit it, admit it, or Kyle will never can will never uncancel you. You're canceled, and, Disney. No, <laughs> no, we didn't get to cancellation yet because I was going to talk about that in cancellation. <laughs> so put a pin in that one. We'll revisit that. Okay, we'll revisit it, Disney. <laughs> but keep listening. <laughs> okay, let's go to maybe a bright side of representation in films, black horror. We talked about a positive trend of having more black creatives and writers and directors and uh, movies in the horror genre. So, Kyle, do you even like horror movies? And what did you think about our discussion? I thought the discussion was great. Nico was fantastic on here. Um, And I, I think it's a positive thing. I mean, it's definitely a great movement that we're seeing with more representation in horror films. I'm not a horror film fan, but I've seen a few and I like Nico's description of it. It makes me feel a little bit more inclusive because included, I should say, because, you know, I do, I do, I did like the ring. I did like certain other ones like that, but you know, I didn't, I don't like the, the slash them up, you know, saw type stuff, but he, 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 he doesn't either. And that's okay. And I, I appreciated his, his, you know, inclusive definition there. Um, but yeah, I, de- I def, I mean, us was great. Get Out was just brilliant and genius. And I'm somebody who was a little bit suspect of Jordan Jordan Peele and Michael Keegan-Michael Key because they're... Because? Key and Peele is a softer Chappelle show. That whole... That whole they, they, when, Chappelle, when Chappelle quit, rightfully so, and I think y'all talked about this on the, on the other one, I think it was the Asian representation when how Dave Chappelle left his contract because for the first time he felt like he was being laughed at and not being laughed with. Like, and again, that harkens back to like the Jackie Chan, like dilemma too. So like, anyway, so he left, but white media saw the value of that show. So they got Key and Peele to do it. And their version of it Mm. is, it just hit a little bit differently and I'm mixed, but the fact that they're mixed made it a little awkward. It's like, y'all got white mamas. Like, it's different. It's just different. Mm. And so I've kind of like, I, I, parts of what they do in their show are great. And I'm like, this is, this is funny. Sometimes it just, it's just like, yeah, it's funny, but like white people are watching this. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but then when Jordan <laughs> Peele did Get Out, I was like, yes, this man gets it. Because Get Out, put slavery in a 21st century white liberal context, which was brilliant. And no, I don't think white people get it. (laughs) But that's what it was, and it's brilliant, and I applaud it. It's just, like, fantastic. (laughs) So are you saying that the Key and Peele show to you is like Uncle Roger is to Lisa? Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, I like that. Um, 
so analogy. Yeah, no, that's that's a good analogy. I think to an extent, yeah, it's it, it doesn't rub me the wrong way to the point that I've canceled it, like you know, bar none. But there are episodes, there are skits that they've done that I'm just like not comfortable with. Um. But other ones I've really liked when they, when they did like Obama's anger, anger translator, like that's just brilliant. Like, I, I, I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so they've done yeah. some things. Luther, is his name Luther? Uh-huh. Yeah, Lu- yeah Luther. Uh, yeah. His name is Luther. Luther. Yeah, like that was just genius. Like so some of the things that they've done, like I really, I really enjoyed and really appreciated. Um, but yeah, some things just don't sit right with me and that's okay. You know, I don't, I don't expect to be a fan of everybody's everything. So that's okay. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I guess you can say it's similar, but but it's not it doesn't but it hasn't yielded for me a, a total cancellation. And for Jordan Peele, get out saved his ass. Like, sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Like second cutting himself with get out. Episode. Yeah, like get out was just like, oh I mean, this is such an interesting topic, Kyle. I really want to discuss this thing with you. <laughs> well maybe we need to take maybe we need to do another, you know, another being episode. Mixed, I mean, how you know, Right, you know, you know, you mentioned being black enough earlier in this in this discussion, mm-hmm. um, and then you mentioned, you know, you're mixed. You know, Jordan Peele is mixed. He shouldn't be doing certain things, and he's married to it's a white woman. Not that he shouldn't be doing certain which things. Even puts well, go ahead. Sorry. More, yeah, yeah. It's just. I mean, it's interesting. It's an interesting. Topic. It is, and it's squishy. It's not. Mm-hmm. Like Lisa's cancellations, you know, <laughs> right. there's there's not a there's yeah. no, it's 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 just squishy. there's not a not a hard and fast rule because Lisa, you know, is it's, all over the place, all over the place with the canceling. Yeah, it's it's just, it's definitely squishy and it's definitely like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's because I, I, I and I've had my own journey with like blackness and uh, you know feeling, do I feel black enough? Like I've I've questioned that my whole life really, and so. I, I just I just think that like for, for, with with Key and Peele it's just like the fact it it's not wrong for them to do what they're doing but if you if you step back and look at the whole scenario you had Dave Chappelle who left because he was being laughed at and then literally his exact same formula was recreated with Key and Peele who happen to have white mamas, who happen to like, you know, do these things. And some of them are, don't hit, like some of them just don't hit right. Like it just doesn't, like some of them, and I, don't, I can't even think of an example. I got to go back and like look at some examples and, and remember some of the ones that like just didn't sit right with me. Just knowing that like the white people that were laughing at Chappelle are probably now laughing at Key and Peele. Mm-hmm. And so, so like the fact that their mix is not a problem. The fact that they're they're doing sketch comedy is not a problem, but when you look at the whole picture, I got questions, and it's just I just a little bit suspect of it. I'm just like, mm, I want to enjoy this, but like, can I? Mm, I see. That's the exact same sound I make. <laughs> when I like about. Oh, I don't know. Can I re- can I relax and laugh? Is it okay? <laughs> I enjoy Luther though. Luther's spot on every time. <laughs> I need a Luther. <laughs> <laughs> you are Luther, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> you are the Luther. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's 
Yeah, we're we're it's like me and Lisa are kind of the Obama and you're the Luther. And you're, you know, <laughs> this is your Luther moment. I Kat. think that's that's fair. I because I, I I remember chiming in on a couple of episodes we've done over the, maybe season one and two where I'm like, what you mean to say is racism <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> right? Because yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think you might it might have been season yes. one where you were like, if a white person says something like to me that's a little bit off or whatever, I mean like racist. <laughs> <laughs> you mean racist, right? <laughs> could do a whole episode like that where jazz and i are talking and then just right you just pop on <laughs> that would be funny be hilarious that would be funny. <laughs> yeah so we didn't really get into lovecraft country oh, on the episode yes. but i i understand that lisa and kyle have watched it i'm i'm, I'm whole i haven't watched the whole season yet i started it earlier this week and i didn't make it through it but i read the book and so if the rest of the season ends anywhere near okay. like the book, I, I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I love it. It's, it's also weird and sci-fi and like weird and like just weird. And that's fine. I would say more fantasy than sci-fi. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. For sure. Fantasy for, sure. for me. Yeah. It's like fantasy and just, you know, out there type stuff, but it's set in some very real historical contexts and, I just I love it. I, I, it's interesting because the book is written by a white man, which I, I was like, interesting. Mm. You know, it didn't. Right. And you have no problem with that, Kyle. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I I don't have. A, so the way the book reads to me, at least, the, you know, my first read of it, it was like, and again, I listened to the audiobook. full disclosure for anybody who doesn't think that counts as reading. <laughs> um, but like my first <laughs> listen, you know, I don't f- I didn't feel like there were any glaring issues with the writing of the book having been written by a white man I think it it was good um potentially maybe if it was written by a black person like maybe it would have hit a little harder but in terms of just the quality of the work I thought it I thought it was fine and then I think Jasmine we, we were talking a little bit about um the, the creative minds behind the, the adaptation into the show and um I, I, I believe there, there are quite a few black folks involved with you know the, the screenplay and stuff like that so um Mm-hmm. you know that's encouraging and and i think that, that you know the show so far from what i've seen is is great it, it it sticks to the book in the important ways and i love it so i haven't i haven't read the book uh so is this a white author writing black characters or was he writing ambiguous characters and then the show uh turned it or made it presented it as a you know completely black cast with a few white no he sprinkled. he was he was writing black characters yeah oh. he was definitely writing black characters because um it was there it was very much it was very obvious from the beginning just as it is in the show i mean the, the book starts off the same way well similarly the book starts off with atticus um he's driving himself home to chicago mm. in the in the show he, he's in a, he's in a segregated bus um but he was driving himself in himself in his own car home to Chicago, and he had to stop and like get help from a gas station. His car had issues and stuff like that. Um, so, um, but the whole theme of like leaving Jim Crow was like the starting point of the book. It was a book set entrenched in the racial dynamics of the country at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I, I'm interested in reading this book because the acts of of racism in the show were very. Like they they hit me hard. Like I was just I was like very um, affected by that, and I I can't see how a, a white writer is able to to convey that since he's not the one experiencing it. 
Yeah, and that's why I think like maybe it would have hit stronger if like if a black person wrote it. Uh, maybe the the the, mm. the just the writing of it would have been that much more reverent. But I think it was good. Like he 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 did a decent job. And you know another good a good example of this. I don't know if any of you have um, read or watched if Bill if Bill Street could talk by James Baldwin. Yes. Yeah, like that book, like the way he describes, like uh, I can't remember the main character's name, but like the way he describes her pregnancy, I'm like, how did he do this? Like I, I've never been pregnant, but like I could, I felt that. And I was like, if this is any, if this is anywhere near realistic, I'm like, how did he do this? You know, and so mm-hmm. I, I should ask somebody that that I know has been pregnant, but like. You know, so that that's another example of, of a man, of, of somebody who's not in, in the group, like, from what I could tell, effectively describing something that they personally haven't experienced. Um, and, and brilliant writers can just do that, I guess. I guess it just, it, it, it's, so, you know, I, we talked about this offline where I was reading this book by an author, uh, and she has... She has she's mixed heritage Chinese and I'm a, I'm I'm assuming white because she doesn't really say what her other heritage is but she's like really latching on to this uh, Chinese heritage and she writes a lot of the a lot of books all based on either the Chinese or the Chinese immigrant story uh, and her book covers particularly are very like exoticizing Asian women and. You know, I don't want to say she's not Chinese enough to write these books, but yes, a good writer can do a lot of research and, you know, get different perspectives. But it just like rubs me the wrong way that like I, I could choose a more authentic <laughs> Chinese person to read from and not her. So it's kind of like Lovecraft Country, like. Even though he wrote it well, I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed the show much more, but I don't know if I would enjoy the book knowing that it was a white person writing mm. it. Yeah. So, Lisa, a oh, more yes. authentic writer, <laughs> what percentage of direct Asian heritage <laughs> would make a writer authentic? Look, look, look I know. I know I'm being very... Um, I'm just trying to understand I, I'm because maybe okay? maybe Lovecraft Country author is great-great-grandfather... <laughs> was you know Thomas Jefferson's slave or something? I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Look, I know that I'm being very um, petty here because certainly Hollywood has cast um, only wanted to cast Asian people who were Asian enough, you know, whatever they define it, which is basically like the stereotypical maybe um, features and stuff. So I know I'm being hypocritical here uh that no i don't have a percentage of how asian you have to be or how chinese you have to be to write about the chinese story but i would like them i would like an author to have you know personal experience or um just just demonstrate some sort of genuine wanting to know because this seems like it's all very fictionalized experiences and yeah, I would rather the I would rather this author write um, perhaps nonfiction, you know, to show that they're doing the research, because they themselves are are very far removed from the the immigrant experience, except that they have family members who may be immigrants. So that's I think my maybe that's maybe that's my my rub is that she's writing fiction, and she writes some historic fiction which I don't really want to read, but I'd like to see some nonfiction 
and then maybe you know once like i've developed trust with this person that i would could move on to some of the fiction and historic yeah. fiction I mean, it's very interesting like who who can who can access or who can create things about who or what mm-hmm. it's an interesting mm-hmm. question yeah i think so and, and i think it's it's really like the, the people the culture the, the cultures themselves have the agency to choose you know like i feel like you know lisa's answer to that question is is understandably squishy because there isn't like percent of ancestry that really hits the mark it's really do you have lived experiences that help this help you understand this to the point where you can effectively write about it and it could be because you you might like you you might you might you might be white fully white but you might have been raised in like a heavily asian area and you, like every like maybe every sleepover you've ever had was in a is in a chinese or a korean american home and so you know a lot about just what it's like to be in that in that space and you're very comfortable in that space. And maybe that's enough to write well and and have it resonate with folks who also are who are Korean American or whatever. Like that could be enough to be a good writer about it. I don't know. Like but I, but I do think it helps if you have lived experiences either in your own for yourself or or, or just in your life um, looking looking the part helps sometimes which is why i mean i'm i'm very light-skinned <laughs> yeah. but but i think people can see me as definitely not white and and most people astutely could tell that i'm black but you know i mean i definitely don't i definitely am not a dark-skinned person so it's not I, my experience is is different because of that and and i've you know been the benefactor of of light skin privilege um and you know, from the whole colorism standpoint. So, but sorry, I made it about me, but the point, but I think the point is just if you're, if your lived experiences, whether your own or, you know, through friends and close intimate scenarios are culturally relevant, I think that contributes to your ability to write about it. All right. Should we move on to the, uh, the next episode? Sure. Uh, or the next two episodes, because it was a two-parter. This was uh, me reflecting on my reading of the book, Me and White Supremacy. Uh, I talked a lot about um, the different topics in the book, but some of the ones I wanted to highlight, uh, maybe Kyle has some reaction. Well, he already talked about optical eyelashes. I don't know if you want to add any more to that. I'm good. (laughs) You're good? Okay. Another topic we talked about was the clash between Asian and black communities because there was uh, a chapter on, you know, how white supremacy weaponizes or how have you, uh, me as a reader or you as a reader, um, used white supremacy to weaponize, you know, BIPOC against one another or how are you um, treating those communities? So that, you know, that brought to me, you know, the discussion on the rush hour and how, um, like that was kind of uh, it was intersection of the two communities and then the L.A. riots and the Korean yeah, the Korean stores and the, yeah, the shooting. So we want to talk more about that. Um, no, I think I think the episode about me and white supremacy was really good. You touched on a lot of different things. You touched on, you know, the feminism piece, which I think we could delve into in an entire episode. The Christianity piece, I think, as well, could have its own episode. Um, there are so many other parts of the book, though, that I think are really really important. Um, but I think for anybody interested in those, I think, you know, you know, they should definitely take a look at Lisa's blog. And that's something that I might do 
with one of my friends or family, like to have them go through the book and work it, work it with them. I might go through it myself and, and do something on maybe on my own podcast or come back at a later on a later episode with racisms and, and talk a little bit more about some of those other topics that, that y'all didn't talk about in the show. Um, but no, I think the episodes were good. And, and, um, you know, I appreciate the fact that you all were willing to, or that Lisa, you were willing to to do it and journal about it and, and share on the podcast and Jasmine for, you know, engaging with her through that process. I think that was a good thing. So Kyle, do you have any opinion on a next step or a next book maybe for someone that does this book and is, you know, open to learning more and possibly changing their views or adopting new views? What, what would you think is a next good good step after finishing the book? I think the next step would be to be in black spaces. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think a lot of non-black people are uncomfortable with even that idea. <laughs> exactly. I have a good example. I think mm-hmm. a good example. In my former job, um, I was getting into more into photography. I mean, unrelated to my job. So, you know, I was meeting people at my job that were into photography and other creative things. And uh, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Maybe we could like get together and form a sort of collective or, you know, think about things together, projects, things like that. Right. So I'm recruiting people. I, You know, two people I found were two black men. And then there was one white male. And... And I was asking them what they thought. And then I went to the white male and I was like, you know, I've got this idea. You know, you, do you want to have lunch about it? And he's like, OK, who's who do you, who you think, you know, who are you inviting? And I told him about the other two people who we knew. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, is that a, is this a black thing? <laughs> like that. Like, is this, is this a black thing? And I was like, <laughs> in my head, I'm like, well, you're clearly not black so how could this be a black mm. thing if i'm inviting mm. you <laughs> did you need lucifer to pop out as like heck no you're here no because i you know for me for me i you know in the moment i'm really bad at reacting the way i should react <laughs> you know it's like you know a day later i'm like i should have i should have <laughs> should have said this or that but in the moment i was just so confused i was like no no it's not <laughs> I was just, I was just so confused. I was like, so I think that's the the thought of, and it was a four people meeting and he was concerned about it being a black thing. <laughs> yeah. Just weird. No, that's definitely <laughs> true. That's definitely true. And that, that's, yeah, that, I think that's a great example. That's a great example. And I guess yeah. if I were to pair that with another book, it would be My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menachem because that, really centers each of us in the trauma of this entire racial experience in this country. And it, and it, it speaks to black people, white people, blue people in terms of police. Um, and it has a lot of practices that help work through those traumas. And so, you know, it's one of them, for example, is like, you know, put yourself like if you're in a space where something is said or something is making you uncomfortable, like just center yourself and understand the discomfort and like, you know, breathing exercises and things like that to try to like, understand 
where the discomfort is occurring, why it's occurring for you, and like, and just to like process through that in real time. And I think white people or just any, yeah, people just need to be in black spaces and feel the discomfort. And, oh, I have an example of this too. Um, not, not for myself, but when I, when I, when I heard about um, one of my bosses at my old company, he and his kids love Marvel movies. So of course they went to see Black Panther. The only Marvel movie I've seen is the one called Black Panther. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, they've seen them all. So like he, he's white he, and he took his, 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 his boys. I think he has all, I think he has all sons. Um, but that's, it's irrelevant, whatever. He took all of his kids to see Black Panther in the theaters. And I don't know where he lives, but I, I, I would think that he lives around mostly white people because, you know, housing segregation. But at the movie, he was like, he and his kids were like the only white people in the, in the movie, in the, in the theater. And obviously they're watching the movie with all black cast with only a few white characters. And he was telling me this. He was like, you know, I was kind of uncomfortable. Like I was just in this, I was in this space, like with all black people and the movie was all black people. And then I was like, this might be how black people feel all the time. And I said, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And that was like two hours of your life. (laughs) So yeah, that's it. I mean, go to black church, go to black something, you know, and be, be uncomfortable. Don't go to the cookout first. The cookout is a very limited enrollment (laughs) type situation. Don't go there, but you know, work your way up to that. (laughs) And I'm not talking to you, Lisa, personally, I'm just saying for anybody who wants to, who has read that book, and wants to like take another step like yeah like go to go to a black event you know where you can kind of ease into ease into some more black culture and just and experience that discomfort and, and process through that we did with Tanya about the model minority myth and we talked about um, well, I mean for, for me coming to terms with this uh, this concept of meritocracy and how it hurts more than it helps uh, so uh, Kyle would you think about that that episode and you know had you heard of this term before yeah or, I, like, I've used it yeah, I definitely heard the term before, and I even read, read a book by Thomas Sowell, which was written, I think, in the 80s, actually. It's one of his older books, and it was it was about, like, all the different ethnicities and how they've, you know, brought their cultures here and how their cultures have manifested in, in the American economy and American, you know, value structure. Um, and actually, it's, well, that's not, it wasn't always American-centric. He talked about how um, Chinese in, in Malaysia have had great success, but have also been ridiculed because of their success um, mm-hmm. in Malaysia. So like it, he talked about some of that, but he, uh, my problem with his, his writing is that he, he kind of preaches the model minority myth because he's like, Oh, mm-hmm. like the Germans came over and they did this. The Jews came over and they did this. The Chinese came over and they did this. And it's like black people, like we still haven't done anything. He's black. And I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. this. Yeah. And was, and he completely misses the, the fact that this country was founded on cultural genocide of, of like we were severely traumatically severed from 
our home cultures, our home language, religions, everything. And we've literally, our, our, our cultural experience is, is, is rooted in, in Africa, but it's also, it's, but it's rooted really in the traumatic experience of enslavement and the 150 years since. So it's, it's really, it's really an unfair characterization. But anyway, the, ep- the episode that y'all did was really good. I mean, you talked about a lot of the key, uh, key issues of, of the model minority myth. And, and I'm glad that y'all kind of concluded with the idea that like that whole concept is really an, it, it's really a divisive concept. I don't like the term BIPOC, but I'll use it in this case because mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. it puts a wedge between us where we need not wedges. Mm-hmm. Like white people are a minority; they're the minority worldwide, and they all talked about this. And so we don't need we don't need a model minority myth to like further confuse things, because everybody in the world has suffered from white supremacy, and in my opinion, capitalism, colonialism, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that that's kind of that's kind of the overarching fact, and I think y'all got there in the show, so that, that was good. I like that. And I also, I also, I will also say that I think it's y'all talked about this a little bit, and Jasmine made the point that, you know, the model minority myth and the stereotypes associated with them are, you know, unfortunate and and I guess annoying, but they're not life threatening. Mm-hmm. And, and Jasmine made that point. And I think that's a good point to 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 yeah, reiterate. Yeah. Did the myth ever come into play, like in your education, maybe in high school or college? Was there ever a point where you, um, because you said you had, you know, Asian friends, was there any comparison or any like, expectation that your Asian friends might be doing well, you know, or should be, you know, should automatically do well in certain subjects or was that ever a thing? Yeah, for sure. Um, and and kind of like you, like when, 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 we, when you're at that high school age, you're not thinking, oh, this is the model minority myth playing out in my high school experience. Like you're not, you don't have that that language, you don't have that wherewithal to see it. But but looking back, it was absolutely there. Like one of my one of my good friends was from Bangladesh. Um, his family they <laughs> they lived in a big house on like you know in a neighborhood that was surrounded by that was that surrounded a golf course, right? So like that's Juan Dixon lived in their neighborhood when he was playing for the Wizards. So like that's where they lived, um, and. Like he and his brother, it was like, oh yeah, like get an education, like be a doctor, blah blah blah. Like that was like it, you know. So like that was that was how it played out in their household. Mm-hmm. One of my best friends growing up is Chinese, and you know, that was a house that that like I was always at. And, like it, like I won't eat dumplings anywhere else because I've had his dad's dumplings. Like it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and that's also the first place I I tried duck, which was cool. Um, mm. But like, so he and I, like, we, we were always at each other's houses and in his house, he's like one of four kids. Like, it was very much like, you know, her, like his mom was just like brutal about education. And he's like my, my friend, he's, he's the oldest of, of the four. He's brilliant. Like he got a 1510 on the SATs, but like he just didn't, he just didn't care about school that much. Like he just, the formality of it, like whatever, like he just, he just didn't choose the academic path because like it just didn't sit right with him and that's fine. You know, but like that grinded his mom's gears like to a T. Like it, like she like <laughs> could not tolerate it. And all the, all of his other siblings, you know, you know, did did a little bit more to meet that. Like one of his two of his siblings, I think, are engineers, and the other one, let's, I can't remember what 
I think she teaches, which which is which is not necessarily that's not the stereotypical role for for a Chinese American you know kid to, to grow into. Um, mm-hmm. But but they they did more more of the traditional academic path, but but um yeah, so I, I saw that kind of play out, and I saw the 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 just the the way his mom reacted to to my 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 friend in particular, the way she reacted to his like relatively haphazard pursuits of education and just kind of like, yeah, mm-hmm. just not going to finish all this. I'm not going to do this. Um, yeah. I, I saw it play out in, in an intimate way with, with friends that I had. Mm-hmm. What did your friend end up doing with his life? Um, He worked at Trader Joe's for a while and wow. he, I think he got into management there and okay. I honestly don't know what he's up to now. Um, he got married and like haven't seen him since. <laughs> like, kind of haven't like been in touch. I've been trying to reach out and I haven't heard back from him. So I'm not sure how he's doing. I hope he's doing well. Um, but he kind of he kind of just was. He kind of always was trying to pursue things that are a little off the grid. Like I know he was interested in like electrician school. I can't. I don't know if like if he ended up pursuing that. Um, like being a, being a, being an electrician stuff like that. So he 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 kind of just like kept foraging for himself a different path. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we hope you're doing well. Random friend of Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Finally, our last episode prior to this one was about cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone's favorite topic. You're canceled. You're canceled. So, Kyle, uh, do you cancel? Is that a part of your your daily life? Are you a canceler? Yes, I am a canceler. <laughs> Although I got on social media yesterday, so in the way people talk about cancel culture <laughs> with social media, like no, because I just showed up. But yes, I've can- I'm a canceler. Mm-hmm. I see. So what what kind of things historically have you Disney canceled? <laughs> Okay, Dis- Disney is canceled. Yes, you want to expand? No, but I, it's I never apologized for its 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 blackface Mickey Mouse. It needs to repeal Mickey Mouse. Yeah, like I mean, I say that tongue in cheek because yes, I canceled Disney. Like I can't stand Disney. I will never voluntarily go to Disney World or any of that stuff. Like I will not do it. Mm-hmm. But like, did my kid want to see the new Lion King with like all with you know uh, Beyonce and all that? Did I take him? Absolutely. Like, yes, I took him to see The Lion King, okay? But on the I way, did. did you say, now, listen, we, we don't <laughs> like Disney, but we're going to see this movie, but remember, we don't like them. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I, I later on when he, was talking about Disney, when he was talking about Disney Plus, I was like, yeah, I don't really like Disney that much. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jasmine, I think the question you asked at the end is like really the great, the, like one of the most important questions. You know, can we separate the art from the artist? and the, the flaws of the person mm-hmm. and whatever. And, and you can even extrapolate that into being into the institution. Like the institu- institution of Disney is flawed and it's never going to be perfect. Can they write music? Yes. <laughs> like, can they hire yes. people to write music for their, can they, yes. Very, thank you for the correction. Yes. <laughs> can they hire people to, <laughs> to write and perform outstanding music? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And like, okay. I can appreciate that. You know what I mean? They, they, they have, and, and Lion King and certain, certain other films, like I mentioned my, my good, my good, my, my Asian friend, like Mulan, we loved Mulan. Like as problematic as Mulan was, 
it was a movie with Asian people. So it was like, mm-hmm. and we, we knew all the lines of all the songs. Like, we just rocked to that movie hard. Like, it was just like, we just loved it. Like, and it is what it is. Like, you know, we could probably still sing Let's Get Down to Business like it was yesterday. Like, nothing. Um, so I can't, I, I mean, it had a role. It had an impact for sure. And there there's certain positives to it. But also talking about, like, you know, blackness being the last one. Like, we just got the black movie, like, four years ago. Five, whenever the, uh, like, one oh, the of the, the, the Princess frog. and the Frog. Like, that was literally yesterday. We finally got a movie with black people. And by the way, they were frogs half the time. Like, thanks. More Disney. than half the time. Yeah, more than, yeah, like, yeah, great, 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 you know, representation, Disney. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. At least we get a saw her for a couple seconds. So she was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But no, like, anyway, so Disney, I canceled it. But like, with this whole thing is always squishy, right? Cancel-ish. Like, I canceled it, mm-hmm. but like, I'm going to participate in the small ways I choose to participate. Okay, so you you are able to separate art and value uh, from the person sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's, ca- yeah, it's case by case. It's yeah, okay. it's definitely case by case. R. Kelly, no. Oh, y'all, yeah, y'all talked about you talked about this like if you're at a wedding or whatever, and they play R. Kelly. I was at New Vegan, and they played great music, and R. Kelly came yes. up, and I was literally at the counter, and I was like, "Y'all gonna cut that off, right?" And they were like, "Oh, uh, yeah, 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 we're gonna cut that off." Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Because I was looking at him okay, like so... I was looking at him like, really? And I was like, Y'all y'all gonna and he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he skipped it. So okay, like that's good. R. Kelly is absolutely canceled. I will not step to the name of love ever in my life again. Like uh, I wish. So I love I just... that song. Never again. Not oh. listening to it. And for me, for R. Kelly, it's because his crimes were connected to what he was doing. Like he was a musician and he he exploited that industry. Or he I'm sorry, he he used his prevalent he used his position in that industry to commit heinous crimes and actions. And like to me, I can't separate him from the art his artistry because his artistry is connected to his crimes. Hmm. If that make if that makes any sense. And like Weinstein's the same way. Like he he like he leveraged his position to to do his his evil deeds. You know what I mean? It's like like yeah like that but if but if somebody if somebody like is a musician and then like i don't know said something problematic like twice on twitter but like <laughs> i like two like of five albums. years ago yeah like i'll probably <laughs> still like their two albums but i'm not gonna like see them in concert maybe or something like that you know what i mean Mm-hmm. Like as long as long as like there, there's a there's a reasonable enough separation between something that they didn't do that drives with me and the art that I'm able to or 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 that their actions that I'm able to you know like you don't cancel Dr. King because of his his extramarital issues I don't think anybody mm-hmm. does that so no so yeah so what are your what is your position on Chris Brown now that we've figured it out you still on that yeah i mean i i i kind of i i was never really a, a huge chris brown fan to be honest and th- this is this oh this is this this is the other thing Whew. this is the other thing about cancel culture that i think is hilarious and it came out in the episode that y'all did like we cancel off of convenience like lisa was talking about lululemon she never bought anything from lululemon ever like <laughs> that's not cancellation like for me to cancel chris brown like I never really listened to Chris Brown, so I can't say that okay, I so, canceled yeah. Chris Brown, but I knew that that was a thing that we did for a little bit. But I was also like, hey, like Jaslyn, like, and, and I know you don't represent all black people, but for you as a black woman, 
like for you he did enough to like amend that cool like that that works for me <laughs> you know what i mean um mm-hmm. so another example is j cole and this this one was a tough one because j cole i don't know if y'all are familiar with this but j cole uh, are y'all familiar with j cole what happened with in the summer? i know who he is i know of him all right, so real briefly, like J. Cole is a is a rapper who has this persona of being like quote unquote woke or just like pro black and just like, you know, mm-hmm. just one of the more conscien- conscientious rappers in the game and 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 he's really talented. His lyrics have definitely are littered with like, you know, misogynistic lines and homophobic lines here and there. So he's not at all perfect. But that's kind of part of rap, and I don't want to give him a pass for that because I really wish he was better with that, but I still appreciate other things that he's done. So, eh, that's already squishy in, the, in and of itself. In the summer mm-hmm. when George Floyd happened, when, I shouldn't say it when George Floyd happened, when, when the Black Lives Matter big push happened in the summertime, um, another, another artist and, and, and you know, celebrity person, no name, um, her, her name is no name, she, she like went through her own journey of like, you know, being called out and like kind of like, not always having the right like awareness of certain things and start went on her own journey of like starting a book club, like learning and engaging with people, having that open dialogue that we said that JK Rowling probably wouldn't be willing to do. No name did that. Mm -hmm. And so she put out a tweet, like where are all y'all conscious rappers? Like, you know, with this black lives matter stuff going on, J Cole came out with a song that was basically, he didn't name her by name, no name, but he, he, (laughs) he like, if the whole song was about her and he was like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Like I feel insecure. Cause like, I'm not as smart as you. I haven't read as many books as you, whatever. Like this dude graduated summa cum laude from like, from uh freaking uh, St. John's university in, in New York. Like he's a college graduate. Like mm-hmm. dude is, dude is smart. Yes. He's a rapper, but he's smart. And like, you, bro, you could, you could read a book and like, he kind of like pitched this whole, and it was just a, a tragic example of like, Making himself the ish, making himself the center of the issue, um, in like a you know in a, in a patriarchal problematic like misogynistic way or whatever, like expecting her the woman to like help him and save him from his ignorance and whatever whatever, like it was just terrible. So like there was this whole issue of like canceling J Cole, like mm. I love J Cole, but I also had a I also was critical of the parts of thing of him that I didn't like, which was as I mentioned. So you know did I cancel him? I could lie and say yes, but like I honestly haven't listened to him in a couple of years anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I, I I didn't cancel him because I had already, you know, what I'm saying like so <sighs> squishy, yeah. squishy, squishy. You had weaned yourself off of J Cole by the time <laughs> this came around. <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of right. It kind of happened organically anyway. I mean like mm. but I you know I've been pouring myself into podcasts and audiobooks. A lot of my listening time goes to that anyway. So, you know, was J Cole top of my rotation even, you know, a year ago, 2 years ago? No. Mm-hmm. Squishy squish. I mean, yeah, it's it's a tough subject. So, what about sports? I know you you're into the you're into the sports stuff. Sports ball. Sports, sports ball. ball. I didn't want to say it, but yes, sports <laughs> oh, I ball. Love it. No, I, I told a colleague about that the other day. I was like, yeah, sports ball. It's great. Because there's a big sports ball game yeah. tomorrow. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I canceled the NFL when the whole stuff with Kaepernick went down. And that was hard for me because I loved 
football. Hmm. So that to me, that's a real cancellation to actually ki- take something out of your life that was huge in your life was 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 actually a big deal. However, I had been waning from the NFL already because of the team that I followed and some of the problematic stuff that was happening already. Like I was already falling back. But when the Kaepernick stuff happened, I was like, all right, we're canceling. We're canceling the NFL baseball and actually my very first episode of my own podcast was about baseball and major league baseball is problematic with respect to race too i'm a huge baseball fan and i've never canceled baseball i've never canceled major league baseball because to me there was no one incident that like there was no one kaepernick like incident that like galvanized it for me and so i kind of just took the, the bad with the good all along and that's just where it is Mm-hmm. It's 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 squishy and it's inconsistent and I and I talk through that a lot in my in in my podcast. I'm like, yeah, it's I'm sorry, it is what it is, and like, and I also understand like a lot of a couple of my friends are like, you know, I still watch the NFL. If I right. if I if if we canceled everything that was problematic to black people, we literally wouldn't do anything, <laughs> except for like get twenties once Tubman's on there. Just kidding, uh... but like. That's a whole nother. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole nother topic. Yeah, it really is, and I meant that tongue in cheek, one hundred percent. But um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's like you know, some people did did like you know, I'm not watching the NFL, and maybe it lasted a couple games, maybe even a whole season, but eventually, I, I feel like people have gone back, and it's like I need I need to know like who were still on mass canceling. I, you know, I just want to know what what the, what the people are thinking. Do you ever do you ever feel like that or are you you pretty good with personal cancellations? You don't care about what other what the mass what the mass consensus is. Yeah, that's kind of my my energy with it because I'm not on social media, so I can't really get my ideas out there anyway other than at the bar or talking to the friends that I have. <laughs> So mm-hmm. yeah, for me, it's just a personal choice, and and yeah. yeah, I might challenge a friend or two about something, but I'm not gonna like not friend them because I'm not gonna unfriend my my buddy because he still watches the NFL. It's gonna be something we disagree mm-hmm. on, and that's fine. And I think you know, but that also brings up the question of like, what's the point of the cancellation? Because mm-hmm. you know, and y'all talked about this in the show, like things that are so big, it's like you know, I mean, well, not things that are so big, but like. You know, are we boycotting this to make a, a specific change, or are we just generally displeased, displeased with something and we're just backing away from it to to no end? Yeah. And, and again, like you said, like what what's the course correction? Like, is there an opportunity for them to come back around? Like, what is it? Exactly. Yeah, I think that's why I mentioned. Like, I think there's a difference between canceling and boycotting. Mm-hmm. Like, were you just canceling because you were mad at the moment? But you know. Nothing changed, so you went back to watching, or are you boycotting for the for them to do something? Like, what's the demand? Yeah, and I think for for the NFL, it's like this league would not exist if it weren't for black bodies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, come on, y'all! Like, y'all, you cannot. It's just, the inconsistency there is just blatant to me. You know, baseball is far more diverse. Like, there's, you know, black people are a portion of the game, but they're not at all the dominant group of people in the game, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had our mm-hmm. own league, but whatever. 
Um, so it's it's just different in baseball. Um, but I still think they should do more. Like the league of Jackie Robinson should definitely be doing more. Like they should be continuing to lead like racial ideas and concepts as within sports, but they're so far from that. It's laughable. One company that I canceled and then brought back was Nike. Hmm. Okay. And I, why I canceled Nike. Why did you Nike. cancel them in the first place? I canceled Nike because I learned about sweatshops. Hmm. And I was like, that's terrible. Canceled. And I, I didn't, I didn't buy Nike shoes for years. Um, and again, like, this is a personal cancellation. Like, did I tell friends about it? And did I like encourage them to not buy Nikes? Yeah. Did anybody listen to me? Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but I held true to that for a long time. And like, did I buy Adidas who also use sweatshops? Sure. (laughs) Did I I buy a new Why? I mean, like, I tried not like you, if you didn't buy, if you didn't, if you bought shoes that weren't made in sweatshops, you would not have shoes. Like, exactly, that's I what I'm saying. Find. So why why Nike particularly? Just because it was the first one you heard was using sweatshops? Yes, <laughs> yes. <It was> the <laughs> first one I heard, I was like 14 years old, and that's the decision I made. <laughs> wow. You know, I like it's just youth. It's like, I mean, I'm laughing at it, but like, yeah, yeah that's exactly what it was. It was just me, <laughs> you know. But on the flip side, conversely to the NFL, they come out with this whole Kaepernick ad. They come out with like Serena Williams ads and all that. I immediately bought two shares of stock. I was like, I'm, I am like, and is that, is that window dressing? Is this like a marketing scheme and blah, blah, blah. Do they still have an all white male board? I'm, I'm sure they do. And yes, it is a marketing scheme. It's more than we got from the NFL. So I'm gonna support it. So let me ask about, um, the, uh, commissioner. I don't, I don't know. The, the other person came out and apologized to Kaepernick afterward. Like, is yeah, I don't that, care. no, I don't care. Okay. All right. Okay. I don't care. Wait, when did he apologize? Lead. He apologized in the summertime, right? In this past summer? Yeah, right? When was, when did Colin, like, get booted? Like, wasn't it, like, five years that ago? That was, like, yeah, that was, like, 2015-ish, something mm. like that. It's been a while. So too, too, too Way too late. late. Way too I late. Oh, Wait. yeah, no, I agree. I agree. He mm. needs to go. I mean, I'm not, I don't follow football. I guess when they started canceling, I was like, I guess I I don't watch football, so I guess I'm canceling. <laughs> I guess I was on that boat. I was like, I'm I'm already canceling football because I don't watch it. But just what I've heard, I feel like that commissioner needs to go. Bye bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anything anything said anything said after the the Black Lives Matter movement of the summer, it that that addresses something that happened years ago is mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like my old company too. The same, and, and like, so yeah, I looked it up. Like Kaepernick kneeled and was basically excommunicated from the league in 2016, and then Goodell, Roger Goodell, apologized in August. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why? Why? Did, what did he say? He now find, he now sees the error of his ways after four years. Yeah. And and again, like I, that falls like like with you, Jasmine. I feel the same way. It falls flat. Like your organization is still. I mean, and the the thing about it is, like people are like, oh, take the politics out of the sports, then take the flyovers out, take the national anthem out, take all that out, because that's all politics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Damn. I have a question for y'all mm-hmm. around canceling. Have you ever canceled somebody you actually know? Mm. I yes. I think it was Reese. I don't know if he's canceled, but the story I told in the Moz episode about the friend I, you know, I was texting with an old friend from grad school who was in the Christian group with me. And who, you know, I was texting during the January 6th events. And he was like, you know, basically, you know, I'm okay. I'm reading my Bible. You know, I'm sharing Jesus. If people knew Jesus, things like this wouldn't happen. By the way, you know, what's for dinner? Or something crazy like that. (laughs) Like basically just brushing it off as not not really engaging with it in in a social justice, like, seeing it as something that should be concerning to him as a mm-hmm. citizen of this country outside of just the Christian framework. And I, I just didn't respond. I never responded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Don't, don't know if I'll reach out again. Um, is this a person who like lives in an area that you would hang out with or is this somebody that like... No, he's not in so the area. Yeah. Lisa, what about you? Uh, people I've known in the past who are on Facebook and disagree with me about the the summer protests and how, you know, s- stores are being looted. And I was trying to say that's not the point. Uh, when Parlor got taken down, I was trying to engage in a conversation about why this person was using it. And... Uh, got ghosted so you i don't think i agree with this person i uh, did yeah mm-hmm. so i um it, you know i i think that i was willing to engage in conversation even after uh summer of last year and the and the exchange that we had but with the recent events i'm like okay well i guess you know i'll need to be reaching out yeah so is ghosting a form of canceling did they cancel me first? Yeah, did <laughs> someone ghost you? I guess that's what I did. I got ghosted, my friend? Maybe. Oh, I mean, I don't okay. think you ghosted your friend, but you just didn't respond. It's. I think that I think if you like thing. had repeatedly reached out and they wouldn't respond, then yeah, they ghosted you. But this oh, is not okay, a... Okay, I see. Yes, I think... I, I guess if... I don't know. If he reached out again, I probably would respond. Mm. You said you would Maybe or would okay. not? I would... Right. I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it's nice to not respond to someone unless you've told them why you're not. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned, empl- you know, coworkers who may have said something problematic before and later came around to you and kind of like either apologized or kind of like reengaged that topic. And so I think it's fair to like at least listen when they come back around. Yeah, they never uh, addressed it. I just, you know, avoided them for a few weeks. Mm, And then acted like nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. There were a couple times where I, you know, I addressed it in the moment, which I think is the best way to do it. Because I think it's awkward to come back like a week later and say, remember when you said that weird thing and you probably didn't think it was racist, but it kind of was. And they're like, what are you talking about? So... Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering if uh 
like for the movie club if we had never watched like just mercy and shown ourselves to be open to this kind of dialogue like you know our relationship or our friendship jasmine would be different and maybe you know if i had never spoken up then it's kind of like well what's the what's the point of like continuing this friendship when there's such like important things to talk about in the world like i think about that too yeah i think it would be different but i have a lot of not a lot but i have associates or friend like people who you know mostly at work who I can get along with and have fun with um and even you know have conversation with that doesn't go necessarily deep Hmm. but yeah I think it would be different and I'm glad I'm glad you you cried on camera Lisa (laughs) I'm happy you let it all Yeah, and those those moments are important. Those those are really important moments. What about you, Kyle? Have you chopped anyone? Anyone on the chopping yes. block? <laughs> You're yeah, like I everybody. <laughs> no, I did, and and this one was like a very. This was very personal. It wasn't about anything politics or anything. Like, this is a guy that I knew in college. He was like a, a friend of mine through the, a group that I was in, and. uh so he had a baby on the way with a woman that he had been dating. And before that baby was born, he made another one. And I stopped talking to him. I was like, bro, no. Nah. And one, of, one of my friends. Why you stopped talking to him? Um, I don't really remember. I want to say no. I, but I feel like I feel like that came out, and I was I I might have said in general that I don't that I don't think that's cool. Like I might have just said that in conversation, but I didn't like explicitly say that like yeah I'm not your friend anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And like I I have a a friend who, who I'm I'm still friends with a guy who who still is friends with that dude, and he'd be like I, I've called my one friend and been like oh hey what's going on whatever and he'd be like oh I'm with so and so I'm like okay. Hmm. I didn't say I'm like oh tell him what's up nope okay <laughs> oh. you know and I and I don't and I don't tell him not to hang out with him I, that's again this is all these are all personal decisions for myself I'm like okay anything else about cancel culture that's that that you wanted to uh, hit on the only thing I wanted to add is that canceling 45 is definitely a slippery slope I'm not okay with it I feel like that Malcolm X would have been canceled if Twitter was a thing and. I just feel like us being okay with it because we don't like him is not the right answer. I think he should not have been canceled. I do. Well, Mm. the only caveat is I do agree with the fact that he broke various rules of Twitter, but they need to be clear, concise and consistent with the enforcement of those rules. And he should have been canceled Mm -hmm. earlier. But the fact Mm -hmm. that it's gone on this long, don't cancel him. Like if if he's too Mm -hmm. big to cancel, then stand in that. You know, and let let it be what it is because you've cre- you've allowed this monster to be at this point. So, mm. you know, either have rules and enforce them, or don't cancel people just on a whim like that. Because I I fully agree. I fully feel like somebody like Malcolm X would have been canceled. He would have been t- he would have been taken off Twitter years ago, like years before his death, whatever. Like I just I, mean, I just think that would have been people the case. people like Malcolm X, black activists, and you know people who have quote-unquote radical ideas on the black side have been canceled for a long you know they get canceled all the time 
and that's our season as well. Uh, thanks so much, Kyle, for joining us for this episode. Uh, we want to tell everyone about Kyle's podcasts. Call, one is called Make America Whole, and the other one is called Who Knows? It's Just Life. So, Kyle, if you're Kyle, can you tell us about the podcast and where else people can find you? Sure. Yes, appreciate it. Um, the the one podcast I'm really still doing is 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 um, who knows? It's just life. The Make America Whole podcast. I think we're kind of reshifting that. That's focused on reparations for um, African Americans. Um, we're kind of assessing other other avenues for that. But my main podcast is Who Knows? It's Just Life. It's just a place to publicly express learning about anything about life. So any topics fair game. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I need to. I actually need to drop a new one recently soon because I need, it's been a while. Um, but yeah, you can also find me on Instagram at real adult. That's R E A L D A D U L T, and reach out to me there. Hope hope to hear from folks. Great, thanks, Kyle. So for today's better world nugget. Uh, I'm going to say that, you know, we both enjoy having Kyle on the team. He always gives a uh, awesome third perspective on the conversation. Uh, we really appreciate all the hard work he goes into editing and putting music and creating music for this podcast. So, you know, look forward to the next season. Jasmine, do you have a better world nugget? Yes, I guess my better world nugget is that sometimes we'll agree, sometimes mm -hmm. we won't agree, but at the end of the day, we can all be friends. <laughs> yes. So yes. yeah, that's my better world nugget. Kyle, how about you? My better world nugget is growth. I think the first season, you all kind of were getting your feet wet and kind of getting comfortable with podcasting and and you know, even speaking to each other on these topics. I think, as Jasmine mentioned, you know, Just Mercy was really a catalyst for it. And it was, we kind of, the podcast kind of caught those emotions and that growth kind of in real time. And I think that's really commendable. And I think this season definitely took a step forward. I mean, we definitely got a lot deeper in certain topics. We got into a lot more of the nitty gritty and, and we really got into the squishiness. That's the theme of this episode for me. Um, but I think you all, you all grew as podcasters, as people, and just in terms of your, your racial discussions and all that. And I think that that is very evident in this episode. And as always, it's been a pleasure to be a part of the process. You all are so professional and, just very deliberate about how you, how you want to do what you do. And I, I applaud you and I look up to you. I, I aspire to be as, as professional as you are, all, as you all are in this, in this podcasting realm. So um, I applaud you. I appreciate you doing what you're doing. I, I, I see your growth and I look forward to more. Oh, thanks Kyle. Thanks Kyle. <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of the racism's podcast. Before you go, be sure to like or subscribe wherever you're listening to this to stay up to date on new episodes. And let us know, what response did you have to the second season of the Racism's Podcast? And what topics would you like us to cover in the next season? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Racism's Podcast. And on our blog, racismspodcast.wordpress.com. 
Peace, everyone. Be safe. For this episode, was created by Jaslyn Duke and Kyle Carson. This episode was produced and edited by Kyle Carson.